um, staying on course. God's design for spiritual growth. I believe he really does have a design, and I find it fascinating how um, how, how uh, repetitive it is, but how uh, rich it is as well. In other words, he repeats it through many different portions of Scripture, and he shows us, you know, because he, he has a design for spiritual growth. Uh, um, I guess maybe another subtitle I would say would be avoiding the unnecessary delays and detours that come from bad decisions. Just to take that analogy in that picture, you're going on a journey somewhere and you randomly decide this is a shortcut, which you take it and then you realize you're not going to make it to your you know, appointment because your shortcut wasn't or, you know, whatever. For what we just, you know, because I'm sure you've been on the journey in various situations, personal or with people, that a decision affected the journey in, in, in a very negative way. So I, I think we're going to be able to pull from this particular study, um, this kind of a walk through the word together, some really encouraging things. So we'll begin with the simple truth. It's God's desire that you grow, that you mature in your spiritual life. So let's look at a couple of things in that regards. Hebrews chapter 5. What I want to do is I want to look at a few verses And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into some Old Testament um, examples and stuff. So in Hebrews chapter 5, we read in verse 12, you know, speaking of those who weren't maturing, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, says. goes on to tell us that solid food is for those who have matured. So it's a real elementary principle. You know, we, really, we understand it in, in just the human physical experience that, you know, it, there's a time where you, you, you need to grow. It doesn't look good for a 14-year-old to still be walking around with a bottle and wearing a diaper. You know, it just just doesn't, it just, everybody goes, that's odd. There's something wrong there. So God's saying you should desire to go. Now let's move over in Hebrews just a little bit to your right over to chapter 12. With this premise, if you would, and this understanding that God wants us to grow. And he gives us some other portions. Now in Hebrews 11, there's these Examples of walking with God and maturing, uh, living by faith. And the emphasis in chapter 11 is the faith expression through these individual people, which is pretty cool. It's a study in and of itself. But the whole point to bring in those examples is an encouragement and an exhortation for each one of us to grow as well. Because you'll read those stories and you'll go, and these people didn't all have it together. You know, they, they really weren't like, quote, perfect religious people. They, they just were experiencing the amazing forgiveness and the glorious grace of God throughout their life. And so their lives are identified. And we see now as it picks up in chapter 12, in light of those who we see in chapter 11 and those examples and the various things, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here we have this exhortation, and there's some beautiful nuggets right within there as far as you know, staying on course, keeping your eyes on Christ, letting go of sin and weight, and those things that slow you down. But he's instructing us, you know, keep your eyes on the Lord, which is we're going to see even in our text as we dig in deeper. One other principle I want to mention, because all I'm doing right now is helping us to see from Scripture God's exhortation to, that we should mature. Why do I need to mention that? Well, because there is some, there are some that believe once you're saved, you just do life. Things happen, things just happens, it's how it is. Like there's no need to make decisions about godly living because you're already forgiven. So therefore you're already forgiven, so you're good. But yet you read the Bible and there's this exhortation, this instruction, that clear directives about letting go of the old life and living as the new man, the new person in Christ. So there's practical living that should be taking place. How do we do it? How do we stay on course? Well, first of all, we've seen there's the need to mature. There's this, this awareness that others have matured and this encouragement to keep our eyes on Jesus. And then there's the words of Jesus. Now, I want to mention it just from the context of learning to be led by the Holy Spirit. Tonight, and, the, and the however long this series takes, is not meant to be a, a, a five points to perfecting your life or this simple outline to how you can do better as a Christian. Because that in and of itself is too much upon you and not enough upon him. It's where we learn to just, okay, we can, we can do this. A New Year's resolution on the 31st, so to speak, you know. Well, we're, we're going to look at a couple of things here. Jesus' words in Matthew eleven fifteen in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, what else would your ears be for? They're not that pretty, you know. I mean, they're not good decor. It's like they don't make your head look better, although it would look funky without them. Why would he say it that way? Well, he, he who has ears, and he utilizes them for their purpose. He who has ears and hears. So he's speaking to people that were living physically, but were somewhat deaf spiritually. And so he's just saying in a very practical way, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which is very interesting, because he says that in the Gospels, and then in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven different times, this is repeated. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven times it was repeated. And you understand, you know, what we have in regards to God's instruction to humanity is right here. Genesis to Revelation. And if he repeats himself twice, that's for emphasis. And if he's repeating himself seven times, it's for, hey, hey, pay attention. That's what he's saying. Is like Because he could have just said it once at the end of chapter 3 when he's addressing to the churches. Each time he's repeating and reminding in a very comforting and convicting way. Do, are you hearing what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? Are, are you learning to listen, if you would? Because if we decide, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a better Christian. I, I can do this. I just need to get my act together. I need to go to church more. I need to hang around church folk. I need to, I need to do more. We, we are at very, very, in a very dangerous tipping point because we've got to recognize God, 
He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So we want to learn as we go along how we can respond to the Holy Spirit, how we can have an ear tuned to know what, what, if you would, if you can think of that illustration, to know what God's speaking to us, to know what he's saying to us. Not that we could stand in front of people and say, thus saith the Lord, draw attention to ourselves and implying some super spirituality. Quite the opposite. That in intimacy and privacy in our confines of our own, you know, private life with Christ, if you would, then we're like, God, I just want to have a greater tune. I want to know your voice more. Because I believe that's our desire, every single one of us. Every single one of us want to want to know what God's direction is for our lives, even in this day. So let's pray. God, as we would approach this, may we be receptive. May we be eager to, to put into practice things that would be obvious, things that would be necessary. But may we put it into practice, relying upon the power of you, the forgiveness you've given us, the accomplishments you have brought forth. You have saved us. You have justified us. You've empowered us to live this life because of your presence. So I'd ask God, give us a sensitivity individually. Help us, Lord, in the privacy of just between you and me times that we would um, just be soft. We'd be pliable. We'd be teachable. That even tonight, as we would go through this, the word together, that you would write upon the tablets of our heart your love for us, your amazing grace that's been given to us, your direction for us, your kindness, your compassion, your correction, your comfort, all that you would have. Oh, God, do that sweet work that only you can do. That we, God, would know you in a deeper way. That we would be hungry and thirsty for you and you alone. In your sweet name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to look to 1 Corinthians to start out, chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. I know we went through this some weeks ago in our study on Sunday morning, but you're going to be encouraged. So as we read from chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, it's under this understanding that there's a need for maturity because not everybody matures. Aging is automatic. Maturity is a choice. You, you, you potentially have the opportunity to get old. Not guaranteeing it, but you have the opportunity. It may happen. Maturity is a choice. God doesn't mandate it. He presents it and invites you to it. Let's consider what we read in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 6 makes it clear. We should learn from them so we don't repeat their foolishness. Really what we're going to see here in chapter 10, because you know the group they're talking about, mainly referring to, right? The Old Testament believers, those who were 
in captivity in Egypt, but then they were brought out of captivity to follow God. They, they ended up wandering in the wilderness. Why did they wander primarily? Unbelief. They really didn't believe God would do what God said he would do. And, and they followed they had the appearance of doing right, but it says he was displeased. And we know because they, they actually complained a lot. Well, thanks for this, but you didn't do that. It's actually, I refer to it as a, it's a type of the spirit of this age. It's not uncommon. Even among believers, and even, I think, too frequently in churches, there's this sense of, yeah, I'm so glad God did this, but, you know, we still got to do this, and we got to do this. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you have no clue how close you are to the wilderness. <laughs> you know, you could, it's so, and I, I, I recognize it because I, I live that way for so long. My mind is wired as a, a type of a troubleshooter, so to speak. I did, I worked in the truck shop for 20 years, which influenced that, you know, perfected it a little bit. But you're always trying to find out what's wrong with something because that's your job. Trucks are broke. They come to your place. You work on them, and you figure out what's wrong, and you fix what's wrong, and you send them down the road. But it starts becoming a way of living. You're always finding something wrong with everything. Even when, it, well, that's working, but these things, are, you know what I'm talking about? Well, guess what? If, we, if, we don't, if we're not cautious, we become just like the complainers in the wilderness. And we justify our thinking, and we say it's okay, but in the big picture, when you step away, God says it's not okay. You're complaining in this mindset. It actually keeps you from seeing what God would reveal to you because it's just this, this is the imagery for me. Head down. Oh, man, and then this, and then this, and then this. Well, look what God has done. And Well, this, I don't look up. I, it's a, a physical, if you would, picture. If you don't look up and see what he's doing, of course you're not going to see. And there's a you know, spiritual point there, too, as far as like learning to, to see. Uh, everybody is, is invited, is called to spiritual maturity. But for various reasons, some won't learn. A big reason that many don't mature is they are reluctant to receive from other people. They don't learn from the present, and they won't learn from the past. And I say there, I say it openly in the sense of there's there's various reasons. Don't look at someone and go, oh, it's because this is why they don't grow. You you deal with you. That's going to take all your life figuring that one out. Don't worry about other people. Just you deal with you and realize you know, there's a lot of factors: maturity, life, residual damage, scar tissue on the heart. A lot of things that are just none of your business. You just deal with you, and that's going to keep you busy. But let's consider what Scripture says, because I'm invited to mature, to grow. Walking with the Lord 30-plus years, I'm still invited to mature and grow. And this is what I, those of you who are ahead of me, even in a sense of duration, and, and you know what I'm talking about. The more you walk with the Lord, the more you realize you need the Lord. You don't walk with the Lord and go, man, I've, got so, I've been walking so much longer. I'm so much closer. I can kick back now because I'm so much like him. The more you become like him, the more you like yourself, the old nature, not so much yourself, though your old nature, you like it less because you see the truth of it because you're stepping away from your own, you know, guarded, clouded reasoning that says it's okay to be this way. And as you're opened up and seeing more of who he is, you're like, wow. So 
Let's go and look at some examples from the past. Referenced in 1 Corinthians 10, let's look specifically at Joshua. The, the story, what we learn from this man, I just, it's one of, he's one of my um, go-to guys to just sit and study and, and kind of, as he learned under Moses, I kind of learn under him. I kind of look at Joshua and see how he served and how he lived and what do we have just capsulized in his, uh, if you would, story, at least, at least the book uh, titled after him, the book of Joshua. Let me say one thing, though, and we'll bring it up on projection. It's in Numbers 27, there it is, 27, verse 18. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. See, so Joshua is a man that's identified as he had this relationship with God, conveying to you what we would see and understand from this New Testament, Genesis to Revelation perspective, that the Holy Spirit was leading him. Very important to know that. Very important to know that we are led and be willing to, to learn from. And I love that about Joshua because we're going to look at some principles and we want to recognize that although we're looking at the principles, the person is submitted and surrendered to God. So let's go to Joshua chapter 1. And so Numbers 27 we know is chronologically prior to Joshua 1 because you're going to see in this first portion uh, Moses passes away. Joshua was functionally inaugurated by Moses. He was received. He was recognized as the one who would be taking the helm, so to speak. Now we find in Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 5, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant or assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. Let's stop right there. One thing, maybe your first point, if you're a note taker in regards to um, growing and maturing, stay close to the one you are following. Stay close to the one you are following. Joshua is invited to take the, 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 the baton, to continue the race. He is going to be the one now to take the lead, if you would. And God is telling him, you know, uh, I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So verse 5, you can also see in verse 9, he's given some, he's told some specific things. Verse 5, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So a sub point to staying close to the one you're following is know what he says about you. 
Know what he says about you. This is, this is what he, he's saying to Joshua. I will not leave you. And I'm not going to abandon you. Jesus said later, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to come back and get you. I'm not abandoning you. And it's so important when we're learning to, to, to grow and we're choosing to mature and we're wanting to have a, a deeper experience, but also a, a real-life expression of a relationship with God, we got to know what he says about us. One of the things that really uh, can unseat people or, you know, um, kind of tip you sideways is when you don't remember what God said about you. When, when you start thinking, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a loser. I, I knew I should have helped this lady across the street. I chose not to. And then, you know, she tripped on the curb and broke her hip, you know, or whatever. And then you just beat yourself up because something you didn't do. And next thing you know, you just you're convinced that that you're just not worth serving God. You don't know the Bible well enough. You don't know how to serve well enough. You've got this secret sin no one knows about. You just can't do it. And, and you gotta stop and go, wait a minute, I gotta know what God says about me. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. He who has saved you, he who has rescued you, he who died for you, loves you. And, and I, it's so important that we, we hold that so close because it affects how you interact with God. If you're going to mature and you're going to grow, you've got to know what he says about you. You've got to realize, and we need to kind of ponder and chew and reflect on and think upon and, and really talk to him about it so we can realize. Because when, when someone in your life who maybe has a, a position of influence, or in a sense, even a, a family-like authority. My grandma, uh, my mom's mom, when I was, uh, well, they, she, they lived six blocks from us down the street up till I was, think, maybe for about almost my teen years. So I would go down the street to hang out with my grandma. And, and the reason I did this, I didn't know it at the time. I, I thought it was because she made really good cookies which she did, for sure. I thought it was because, you know, she would just let me watch TV when she was watching TV, and, and she, she didn't have quite the overbearing restrictions that mom and dads do, you know. I really thought that was part of it. I mean, I thought that was the reason, and I, I just let's love going down there. But I, what I realized later, the reason I went down there is because I knew my grandma loved me. I knew she loved me. And the way I discerned that is because she she was she engaged with me. She let me be me. She talked to me as an individual. And and so I guess what I'm saying is I engaged with her differently, even though she totally supported my parents. She just had a different angle of saying what they're saying. She said it with a cookie, and Dad said it with a you know, switch. <laughs> so I had law and grace living in my life right there, you know. Well, so I guess all that to say is when you know you're loved, you engage differently. You receive differently. You respond differently. And knowing that you're loved by God is so important because you want to stay close to the one you're following. Know what he says about you, but also the other sub point would be know what he says to you. Know what he says to you. Now, you could say, well, gosh, it seemed to be different for Joshua. There seemed to be more of a, a direct line connection. It, it was maybe 
not wireless. It may be it was just some clarity. There seemed to be almost face-to-face business going on. So it's so different from us. Well, it's not any different. The communication is still there. God knows what he's doing. So he, he doesn't speak to you and me from a burning bush like he did Moses. Uh, we're, we're in all probability, he's not going to manifest himself physically and give you instruction. I say it in all probability because there, there, there's some fascinating experiences where people have had angelic appearances and different things take place to help them grasp the word of God. But by and large, he chooses to speak to you through his word, through your, to your heart, and, and, and stirs your intellect. Agreed? Like maybe he'll say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's not a new, they didn't reprint that in 2024 and send it to you only on an email. That's embedded, that reveals who he is. And when it comes to you in such a way that you're like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not your memory skills. It's not your situational deal. It's the loving God bringing to your awareness the Word of God, the Holy Spirit literally teaching you. So I want to encourage you, when you have those words and verses and things that just stick, to, they just come forth, and you, you think it's because you've been listening to that song on the radio or whatever, just think about the truth. Think about that Word. Learn to hear, have ears to hear what He's saying to you. And I know it can get manipulated and people present like, oh, I had this happen and all this. I just kind of shy away from that stuff. I don't, it's not my business to say it happened or say it didn't happen. I just want to have ears to hear what God is saying. I want to know what he says to me. Notice in verse 6, he says to Joshua, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So he said, listen, be strong and of good courage because I'm going to fulfill my promises. Promises that the people of Israel were aware of, but they were in a holding pattern, quite honestly, because they didn't. They were complaining and, and they wouldn't believe God's promises for blessings. But notice he's, he's told to be strong and of good courage because I'm going to bring this forward. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Notice this that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Continuing in verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. ton of things to think about in there, but let's just keep it on this real simple outline, so to speak. Know what he says. Joshua was told to be strong and courageous repeatedly. Why would God say that? Because he needed to be strong and courageous. Why do you need to be strong? Because there's going to be opposition. So therefore, you, if you're weak, opposition will push you back. So be strong. So he's, he's, we know, and you'll see it unfold in this book as you read it, we know that Joshua, his, his relationship with the Lord was strengthened by the responsibilities that God had given to him. Joshua didn't set out to be take over for Moses. I'm absolutely confident in that. He just wanted to serve. He wanted to be in the position God had him to be. And now he's called to step up and do this next thing, and he needs to be strong and courageous. We're told in Timothy, at least Second Timothy, uh, be strong in the grace that is in you, that's given to you. 
Interesting, huh? Strong in the unmerited favor. Not in the disciplines and and, and how you do this and do that, but be strong in this unmerited favor. In other words, know where your strength comes from. So he's told to be strong and courageous. Repeat it again, to be strong and courageous. Twice he was told to observe, to do. Observe, to memorize. Observe, to go tell other people. Observe, to, to impress. No, no, none of that. Observe, to do. We read the word to do it. We don't read the word to tell people about it. Those are not so bad, but you get the point. The thrust, the drive, the point, focus is when you're going through uh, wonderful times, you observe to do. When you're going through hardships, you observe to do. When you're going through somewhere in between the swing of that pendulum, you observe to do. Because this, what we're reading is not just literature or something that's just kind of in the shelf or category of spirituality. It's the literal word of God. And so we want to know what he says. Notice in verse 18, now something that's very fascinating. In verse 18 of chapter 1, whoever rebels, you know, this is, this is the people speaking to Joshua. We know that from verse 16. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. God said it three times. Now the people he's leading are saying what to the leader? Dude, you be strong and of good courage. It's almost like saying, we're going to mess with you. You better get it together. Because <laughs> that's really the summary of what happened when he, when he was leading the people. I don't think it was a lot of comfort when the people, when, when God said to Moses or to Joshua, um, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That, that, that's comfort to him. Where I'm going with it is, when the people said, as we followed Moses, so we will follow you, that wouldn't make me go, awesome, this is going to be so sweet. I'd be like, yeah, can't you up your game a little bit? Because you guys were a hassle. You just drug him down sometimes. I know, I was there holding his arms up, Joshua would say about Moses. Nonetheless, the people, do you see this? The people are encouraging the leader as well. Listen, we're going to do our part. It's going to be... We're gonna we're gonna stick to it. You be strong and of good courage. You 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 lead in the way that honors God. You lead in the way you learn from Moses. You lead in this fashion. And so I, I just find it interesting that God says it three times to specifically to Joshua, and then the people are another voice that reminds the leader of what the Word of God says and what the Word Word has said. So stay close to the one you're following. Let's look at another one, another thing to consider. Free yourself from the shackles of familiarity. Faith is an adventure of unfamiliarity. What, what am I what I reference to? Let's turn to Joshua 3. My goal is just to kind of glean from Joshua as we stay on this topic. I would encourage you to read through this, this book and catch these chapters in context. You're going to see so much as such an example. But in Joshua chapter 3... Verse 1, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was, after three days, that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. 
Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So, they're getting ready to cross the River Jordan. It's been a border, a barrier for too many years. And now God's saying, now is the time. Joshua's going to lead you. And so Joshua then speaks to him. This is how it's going to go down. We're going to move out orderly. There's going to be approximately a little over a half a mile between the priests as they lead and the people. Showing not meaning a distance from God, but a devotion to God, a relationship that's so unique and, and above and, and before that it wouldn't just be common in routine. So here's this, this separation. But did you see what he said? You have not passed this way before. This is unfamiliar territory. They had got very comfortable, very familiar, like many Christians, very familiar with the flow of religious experience and how it should be. And very familiar. And he said, listen, just, just get ready, because this is not something you've been through before. Can you agree in your own personal life? Is your walk of faith with Jesus Christ what you thought it would be in regards to familiarity? I, I've never had somebody say, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about it the day after I got saved, and I just thought maybe this, well, this will happen. And this. No, they're like, oh, yeah, they thought that. And then somewhere, God went, you see the Roadrunner? You ever see, you know, Saturday morning cartoons? You ever see the TNT thing and the little connector and the wires? And boom, it's gone. You're familiar. Oh, I think it's be like this. And no, you know, free yourself from the shackles of familiarity. The, these things that we, oh, I, I we kind of wanted a certain way. And the truth is you do not. You want to live a life of, of faith, a life that you know God's leading. And and he's going to take you into unfamiliar territory. Faith is an adventure of unfamiliarity. And I think that's so powerful. But even as I say that, like, yeah, but it's so uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a good thing. If we're comfortable in this old nature, this body of sensuality that, that is fed by appetites and the sensory desires, and we, we start catering to that, we are not going where we want to go. But if we're willing to say, man, I, I want to know what God would have me to do. I want to live a life that's evidence of his, his power. And so, verses 4 and 5, you've seen it. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's not meant to be just that day. I, I, this principle it was meant for them to be, take hold of and realize because they do well for a while, but at the end of his life, Joshua is, is reminding them, choose on this day whom you will serve. Because many were willing to go back and serve the gods of before. They were going back to, to, to a faith that wasn't faith. It was familiarity, and it was cloaked. It was cloned. It was disguised as faith. And, and we can get into that. I, think, I believe that's what Christianese and Christian jargon and all these little shallow statements say sometimes, although they're true in the sense of, you know, praise the Lord and other things that we may say really frequently. If, if they're just a covering to imply this is, I'm just going out by faith, but we're really guarding our familiarity, our comfort zone, then we're ripping ourselves off. We're, we're actually not, we're on a detour, if you would. Let's cover one more. 
see, uh, remember God's faithfulness. It's very helpful for staying on course. We find this in, in uh, chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 20 to 24. This, you may know, is referred to as the, the memorial stones. Is a subheading for it. It gives us the detail. As they cross the River Jordan, and, and, and in this procession that God has ordained and designed, as they get to the other side, they have you know a, a member from each tribe, the 12 tribes, pick up a stone and, and place that on the other side. And so these are memorial stones meant to be a reminder of what God has done. We see in verse 20, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember what he's done in your past. I encourage prayer journaling. I encourage, you know, whatever means you find effective, to keep track of how God's answered your prayers, how you presented them per se, but also how he's answered them, how you work through particular problems or challenges or joys and happiness, whatever. Just just note it. If you do it digitally, I, I do it that way now. Um, but go ahead and review that every now and then too. Because you'll see how you were really, you'll remember how you were really rocked. You really like, I didn't know how things were going to work out. It really looked bad. And then you see God work it out. You see how he gives you strength. Where you thought he would heal or or provide or financially rescue you in some situation. And and he didn't the way you thought he would. But he did it in a much better way because he carried you through and kept you close to him in the process. And so you see, because you see what I'm saying? We we keep track of other things. Why don't we kind of remind ourselves? I want to cover one more because I don't want to start with this one next week. (laughs) <laughs> that's why Joshua chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 obedience is painful yet purposeful so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. The enemies on the other side were freaking out. Not freaking out in a plan to battle, but trying to figure out where they could get their Nikes and run faster. Because they're going the other direction. They're like, we are not sticking around here. It's the prime time to make your move. Joshua's a military man. He understands, let's get this done. It's time to go. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel. Again, the second time, meaning the second time that that has been done in Israel. Read along, verse 3. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who come out of Egypt, 
who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they come out of Egypt. For all the people who had come out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way out as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. And so, can you imagine Joshua saying, so here, here's what we're going to do. We've just we've, we're here. We're, we're you know it's it's time to to get to do, do battle. So snip step. We're going to cut away the flesh. We're going to be a people separated to God. We are because that's really what the circumcision is. Circumcision is not just the physical cutting of the flesh. Throughout Scripture, it speaks of the the of the circumcised of heart, a heart that's right before God. That's the fleshly desires are are figuratively cut away. And that person is committed to the Lord. And so, can you imagine that? I, I, I just can't wrap my mind around the responses of the military men, these, the testosterone zone that says we're, we are going to fulfill the directive from the Lord. What our fathers did, what we haven't done, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make sure we take care of what we got to take care of. We're going to cut away the flesh. Obedience is painful, yet purposeful. It was the purpose of being a people set apart for God, and not relying on strategy and physical strength. And you know, the the, the scriptures tell us, you know, about some who some who trust in horses and some who trust in tra- chariots. But who do we, as His children, trust? Then we trust in the Lord our God. And so you can see, I just look at this and I go, wow, what an amazing thing that was taking place. We have got uh, several more, which we won't cover because I want to have time just to, to reflect and, and really kind of just have a little quiet time. I want to emphasize the need for having the ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. The Bible tells you and me, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's odd to figure out. I still am working on it. But you can actually interfere with the work God would do in this world. As a born again Christian, as His son, as his, as his daughter, it just seems like you shouldn't be able to. It's like He's so big and amazing, and He loves us so much. But we can interfere. The wording we're given in the New Testament, we're we're, we're told that we could actually. Hinder the work of the Spirit. We can, we can resist the work of the Spirit. The Bible says, using this same term, same thought, we can quench the work of the Spirit. Well, how would we do that? We, we know why we wouldn't want to. But functionally, we could do that. How would we do that? I would suggest it's because when we don't tune our ears and settle our heart and slow down enough to hear what the Lord says, to have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying, then we're just kind of going through motions. When he's like, I want to encourage you. I want to speak to you. I want to strengthen you. This is not reserved for people in a pastoral position or a Joshua moment or whatever. We're told in Galatians chapter 5 to, to walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill these excessive appetites, these lusts of the flesh. So we're going to take a little time right now, and uh, I'm going to pray, and we'll just have some quiet time. We'll put some background music on, just to, you know, just kind of just just kind of chill for a little bit. I believe 
every time we gather, every time we turn our hearts towards the word, if we're teachable, he's speaking. If we're willing to listen, he's speaking. And if we weren't willing to listen, then when there's quiet time, maybe we'll hear. <laughs> I don't know. I just think, you know, let's, let's just take a little time and, and just hear. And I've said this before, but let me finish with this. If a, a figure that you look up to, maybe it's vocational, recreational, sports, whatever, someone that you really like admire, and, and they, for some odd reason, contacted you and was going to meet with you, would that make your day? You, 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 it would rock your world. You wouldn't be able to sleep. You'd want to think about, how, I don't want to come off of a fool. What would I say? You know, and it's like, because you take it serious. How much more should we elevate our reality when the living God speaks to our heart and brings truth and forgiveness and hope to our minds? Should we not receive that with great gratitude and adoration? Should we not be still, as it says in Psalm 4610, be still and know that he is God. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for just as we would, it feels like we're just kind of opening up your word and taking a deep breath and, and there's such a fragrance and yet we sense there's so much more to take hold of, to, to, to more than just take into our sinuses. But as your word says, to taste and see that you are good. And so, God, may you do that work only you can do. We're glad to gather together with this common desire. But we know it's you speaking to us individually and stirring our hearts and drawing us close. Thank you, Jesus, that you draw us near. And so tonight, even now, as we have some time just quiet and with the, the sitting here, Lord, bring us those words of comfort, those words of encouragement, your firm and yet gentle and beautiful correction, whatever it may be, speak to us, God, tonight. That we'd have ears to hear your still, small voice, that beautiful, loving exhortation from your words. Thank you, God.
I want to close with a, a prayer out of Ephesians, a prayer for each one of us, a preserved prayer that we should be aware of because as it was presented for the church in Ephesus, for the believers there, we must recognize it was also for us. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Of what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power. God thank you. May that resonate in our hearts. It's in your beautiful name we pray Jesus. Amen. Amen.